Hi everyone, I'm Lee Savaliksik and this is the Artsbound podcast, where I speak with professionals from across the performing arts industries to capture bits of wisdom, insight, and inspiration for students and young professionals exploring careers in music, theater, and dance. Today I'm talking with Walt Strayton. Walt is a music merchandiser for Con Selmer, but he actually started his career teaching public school. As you hear Walt talk about the path he took to get to where he is in his career currently, I think you'll see that he's a great example of how networking and also having flexibility in the way that you think of yourself as a professional can lead to great opportunities you might not have otherwise expected. Here's my conversation with Walt. Hi, Walt. Hi, Lee. How's it going, man? It's going great. Thanks so much for being... um, taking some time and and being here for uh for this this chat absolutely my pleasure and it's great to reconnect with you from our wonderful time here together when you were teaching at Lawsock. and i'm proud of what you're doing and i've always loved your spirit of innovation and entrepreneurship and um, i'll be anxious to see how this continues to develop for you so yeah thanks thank you so um yeah so i thought uh Actually, I would just start by kind of giving listeners a little bit of context into uh, how we know each other. So um, we met through our mutual, very dear friends, the Lideckers. Um, Bob Lidecker, who was uh, my mentor as a very young teacher and, and who you grew up playing music with, right? Well, actually, Bobby started as a student of mine. A student of yours, yeah. A year in high school was my first year as a teacher. And it was a classic. We we be, the day of graduation. We became best friends. We were gigging together that night and two nights afterwards because he was the best drummer then in the region and to this day. Um, and it's just been a you know, this will date me, but it's a forty five year friendship anyhow um, that goes way back. And he's a wonderful guy to have as a mentor and friend. We both know that. Yeah. So and uh, and actually, his son Chris was uh, the very first interview that I did for the the podcast here. Very nice. And so we, um, who I had as a, he was a senior my first year of teaching. Didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. Connect thoughts. Yeah. All right. So um, and then. You know, we had met a few times, and you were working for Yamaha at the time, um, and then moved back to Williamsport, and um, and then I actually taught your son for a while. You had my son Grant, yeah, yeah. Now college, uh, college junior, um, a little bit higher in the age scale, but uh, yeah, it's amazing how this how the community kind of evolves, isn't it? Yeah. All right, so. Um, you mentioned that you were a teacher. I mentioned that you were with um, with Yamaha. Um, now you are working for Con Selmer, um, and so can you talk a little bit about? Um, I guess take it in whatever order you wish. Uh, either your trajectory, kind of, what are the different steps that kind of got you to where you are, and also um, what is it that you do with Con Selmer? Sure. Well, I'll, I'll try and capsulize it as best I can. Um, I grew up in Harrisburg. I graduated with a bachelor's in music education from Millersville University and came out of school in the late 70s and was blessed to land a position in the Williamsport Area School District. My personal background was kind of weird because I was a sax major and a violin and viola minor, and I got through college playing R&B keyboards and bad church organ. 
Um, but that unique combination set me up for the gig in Williamsport. And I was a high school and college drum major. I was big in the marching band. So the position in Williamsport, when it opened, was they needed three things. They needed a woodwinds teacher at the high school. They needed someone to rejuvenate or they not rejuvenate. They were rebuilding the orchestra program in the district from the bottom up. And it was spilling over for the high school for the first time. And then they also needed someone to help with the 250-piece marching millionaires. So my background, frankly, Lee, was just a blessing. Perfect. It was it was a perfect fit. So rounded out, you know, my day would be one period of orchestra, four periods of woodwind lessons at high school, three hours of marching band after school. I did elementary band for five or six years in addition, and um, so I just had a chance to kind of do the you know, kind of do the whole thing, bottom to top. Um, and I taught in the district of course, It's kind of like a seesaw. As the orchestra program continued to grow, then my band involvement became less and less because there was just more and more to do with the program that you have. And um, over the course of that time, I also started my, I'll call it my orchestral marching band, but it was the Millionaire Strolling Strings, mm-hmm. um, which became um, symbolic of a lot of the great things going on in the community, but really became a full-time thing in and of itself. You know, a lot of travel, a lot of... Um, it, it, it was an intense program, but it really did a lot to help stabilize and grow uh, orchestral music in this region. You, you and I both know this is a very blue collar area. I'll never forget early in my career, the orchestra was in its second or third year. We were invited to play at a, uh, at a dedication of uh, New City Hall in Williamsport. And uh, we got done doing a decent job of Egmont Overture as a three-year-old orchestra could do. Um, and the mayor of at that time turned around and said, and let's have a round of applause for the Williamsport area high school band. At which point in time with, you know, 40 piece string section, I'm like, I think I got my work cut out for me. So, <laughs> over the course of time, we had a chance to, um, you know, to grow some things there. And we did a lot of community activation or activism work. Um, we started a major artist concert series through the Williamsport Recreation Commission in the city in the 80s where we put, we basically built a side-by-side orchestra of the top high school kids with community pros. And once a year um, during Little League World Series week, which we both know is when the town really kind of springs to life, but through the auspices of the Williamsport Foundation and the city, we did a side-by-side concert in 1981. We had Maynard Ferguson. Next year was Buddy Rich. Next year was Chuck Mangione. Next year was uh, the Spinners. Next year was the Captain and Tennille. We had some major artists that played for uh, crowds, and believe it or not, Envision Brandon Park. Um, our guests can't envision Brandon Park, but we have documentation, 22,000 people in Brandon Park for Chuck Mangione. So we, it, there were all these just great markers along the way to do different things to help elevate, I guess the point being, elevate the role of, of orchestral music, specifically in school music in general within the heart and mind of the community. So that's, that's the school part. From there, as we're talking about career path, because of some of the unusual things that I did with orchestras, um, particularly uh, strolling strings and jazz studio orchestra and these pops concerts, I ended up becoming a string clinician for Yamaha, and then ultimately a consultant uh, for the organization, uh, which I enjoyed for well over a decade. And then that led to an opportunity to join their education team in Los Angeles uh, in 2003. So I had 25 years of teaching, loved what I did, had a great job. Um, 
professional hunger or just, you know, a, a desire to do something different. It looked like, okay, I can still be involved with schools, but this was going to be a, on a more national plane. Um, it dealt with technology and I love technology. So I accepted a position to um, lead what was the music in education group, which is a proprietary music lab, general music product that Yamaha had created and to help lead that, that group for several years. And then from there it morphed into um, uh, what was called the Institutional Solutions Group. And so therefore the diversity of my background kind of manifest itself a second time where our job was to work with primarily colleges and universities um, on, ap on applications and solutions, primarily delivered through keyboards um, to help advance their institutional goals. But being a band and orchestral guy at heart, um, and well, from there was in LA, then they gave me an opportunity to move back to which um, I loved the weather and everything was good, but the cost of living is insane. And my 26 mile commute typically took an hour 45 each way, mm. um, where you had to live far from the office to have like a decent, a, a decent home comparable to what we would have on the East Coast um, for, the, for the appropriate price. And so the further you lived away from LA or Orange County, the more affordable things came. So you took the commute, but you took the commute at a price. Sure. Um, so when the opportunity returned back to the East Coast uh, presented itself and to represent institutions, uh, um, primarily in the, the mid-Atlantic area and an opportunity to return home to family and friends, took it. And so that's kind of been the overall, the overall trajectory. Then moving back, um, the Con Summer opportunity came up through our legendary friend, Dr. Tim Lotzenheiser. Mm -hmm. and that came an opportunity to return to my band and orchestral roots. I love my time in the keyboard world and, and working with classical pianists and all those kinds of things. But at the end of the day, I was best, most at home with kids that had flutes and clarinets and violins and cellos in their hands um, to see what we could do. Yeah. So your work with... Um you know, most people listening know the work of a, of a music teacher. Your work with Yamaha was, t it, and it sounds like Con Selmer is, is similar. Um, like the day-to-day, the -day, you're, you're a representative for the company and you are, um, are you making sales to, it sounds like at y Yamaha, it was with colleges and universities primarily, right? And um, what about now with Con Selmer? And the Con Selmer thing is really uh, is really just a perfect fit for, for what the background is because it's really um, and there's five of us in the country. The country is kind of carved up into five pieces, and all of us have extensive experience in different areas of the profession. So my colleague Rick Ganelli was a middle school band director that was an assistant principal, then a high school principal, then a, a music supervisor of a large suburban district in Houston, Texas. Wow. My colleague Randy Greenwell is a world-class, world champion band director at Lawrence Central High School in Indiana. He's one of the top judges for Bands of America and Drum Corps International. So his specialty, concert band, he conducts a very fine community band. So he's got concert band. He's got world-class marching band chops. You got Rick, my buddy in Texas, who has music administration chops. My colleague, David Fulmar, uh, just retired from Snow College in Salt Lake City. And he's a very fine collegiate band director, gracious guy, great musician, just a, a good music ed professor kind of person. Um, my colleague, Nola Jones, Dr. Nola Jones, just recently retired as uh, 
as a music supervisor for Metro Nashville Public Schools, but very fine band director, very fine uh, clarinetist, very fine artist. Um, our managing director of our group is a guy by the name of Mike Campice, who's just a, a wonderful leader, great young, uh, hungry guy that uh, his business trajectory in the business was they closed down the music degree where he was going, music education degree where he was going to college in one of the satellite campuses of the University of Wisconsin. So he ended up kind of moving sideways into the music products industry and started working for LeBlanc, which then became a part of Con Summer. And so he has a very unique job. He's been in product development domestically and overseas. He's been involved in marketing, the whole thing. So we are part, that's a long answer to describe the team, but our day-to-day, and to come back to your question, is I will field questions and emails all day long related to, can you can you help us with scheduling some fine clinics and professional development? Can you help us, help us figure out a way to inventory the instruments that we have in our program? I'll come back to that in a second. Can you yourself come maybe do some guest conducting or come help do some professional development? Can you help us or find the right people to do curriculum development? And then all at the end of the day, it's like, okay, and by the way, we have, we have instrumental needs. And, um, and, so yeah, we, we want to we want to help supply those too. We are you may or may not know we are the last American band instrument manufacturer. One hundred years ago in Elkhart, Indiana, there were one over one hundred band instrument manufacturers. Wow! In the United States, there's one. Hmm. Has, has moved overseas as a result of the global economy. Wow! We occupy a unique position. And I'm very, so very proud of this organization because under the auspices of Dr. Tim, um, you know, this, this organization is very committed to putting influential music educators as boots on the ground to help serve day-to-day needs. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you're, uh, you serve, sounds like, as a consultant in a lot of ways, helping solve problems for uh for band directors orchestra directors in the schools um and then also uh you know provide them with instrumental needs when they need it um but just really kind of helping to be a resource and um connect them with opportunities that, that's that's a great way of, of summarizing it where i've kind of broken it down in, into the smaller chunks but at the end of the day it, it's a it's the opportunity to provide a 360-degree comprehensive relationship to meet the need of, of any teacher along the way. A lot of networking, a lot of uh, knowing the right people to connect with, and yeah. Yeah, and, and that kind of comes back to when you and I exchange emails. I know that's one of the things you want to talk about. What does a young person like in, in, in this business or in this career? Um, hiccups. At the end of the day, and Dr. Tim would tell you this all day long, it's about relationships. It's about the ability to, to shake hands, hug, though I guess we can't do that in, in the short term. <laughs> but just, it's about just how, how, how you treat people. And if you're a young teacher and at the formulative stages of your career, it's, it's, it's figuring out who are the best leaders and then get, finding a way to get to them. And then from there, it's, it's just kind of like a tree growing out of the ground. Branches will develop and relationships will start. Um, I always had a fast, ironically, I always had a fascination with the music products industry. That wasn't, this business always intrigued me. Um, and long before there were a lot of music merchandising programs, when I was growing up, there was one program in the country and it was at the University of Miami. It was run by the, 
the great composer Alfred Reed, who you know has a large catalog, a large body of work for concert band. I think he did some choral work along the way. Um, I always just enjoyed the business side of things, but it was as a young orchestra director that I went to Jacqueline Dillon, who was kind of like the grand dame of the public school orchestra music, and she worked for CG Con, representing one of their brands, which was a Sherlin Ross string brand, and she was giving clinics, so I would go to every clinic she went to. She looked at me and said, kid, you're from the Northeast. You need to learn. You need to go to the Midwest Branding Orchestra Clinic in Chicago to find out what world-class groups look and sound like and act. You know, it took me to my first expense account dinner at Lowry's the Prime Rib in, in uh, downtown Chicago, which was fun. Okay. And then you just began to meet people and to learn and to observe. And again, it was all about relationship. And then it, again, it just kind of kind of spirals, you know. Yeah, sure. So you talk about really, um, even all through your teaching, being kind of keyed in and interested in the business side of of the the music, the performing arts world, especially the large ensemble world. Um, you know, the the this podcast ideally has a uh, an audience of people who are coming from all over uh, the the performing arts realm. They could be singer-songwriters, they could be dancers, they could be theater majors, but you're talking specifically kind of about this large ensemble band orchestra. And so um, let's... Someone who's also kind of keyed into that world, um, is there like is there a temperament? Is there a disposition? Is there something like you, you know you've got a lo- you got to love to do this, um, and not everybody loves to do this, or um, you've got to be comfortable, you know, kind of stepping out into this type of environment, or are there any kind of things like that that you would say, hey, you know, this, hey, if if you're like this or you enjoy this kind of thing, this could be work for you. Or um, if you don't like doing this, um, I'd advise you doing something different. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think particularly in this day and era, you've got to be tech savvy because all the, all the walls are breaking down. All the rules are changing. Yeah. If you're, you know, when I was growing up in my early 20s and playing in bands and like to record and all that kind of stuff, it was an expensive, laborious process. And you'd have to book studio time and, and, and. And I remember as a keyboard player, I had a van. I carried a Hammond three I carried a Fender Rhodes. I carried an Arp String Ensemble. You know, that was a keyboard rig at that point. Mm-hmm. Seven came out. And then all the other emerging keyboard technologies came out. So the point being, technology has changed everything from the creation of music to the production of music to the distribution of music. So for a young person out there, you've got, you, you need to understand, you need to be technologically savvy. It's fascinating because if I primarily live, in terms of ensembles, in a string player's world, it's fascinating to see the, what I'll call the bilingualness of string players. I mean, that's the ultimate, and not picking on that, but that's the ultimate analog instrument, if you would, large body of repertoire to draw upon violinists specifically. But in terms of their, and this comes back to your question, you have to understand technology, but also you need to be, to your point, well-versed in a lot of musical styles. Mm-hmm. And it's no longer good enough to just know Bach, Beethoven, Brahms. You need to know Basie. You need to know Bird. You need to know Brubeck. You need to be able to as a string player, you need to be conversant in, in Irish music. I mean, 
you, you have to be flexible. You can know, you have to be bilingual, trilingual, multilingual to get a career. One of the things you and I talked about initially, and I think if there was a piece of, if there was a theme to a piece of advice uh, that you would, I would give someone right now is that your career rarely anymore is going to look like a straight line between two points. Amen. Public school music education. I mean, you're the living, breathing example of that yourself. I mean, you're an entrepreneur. You've always been an entrepreneur. You did the, you know, the, the, the regular school, school thing, but then you responded to a calling and decided that you needed to branch out and, and do something. When I came into the teaching profession, you know, in, in football, it was what, what three downs and four, four downs and punt or three downs and punt. When I played church organ, it was three hymns and punt. Or if you thought it was, okay, you know, 35 and out kind of thing. Right. I think we're in my generation, that was sort of how we see the world. And in subsequent generations, it's a whole different worldview. Mm-hmm. In summary, the 21st century career is a quilt. It's going to be a piece of this. It's going to be a performing piece. It's going to be a teaching piece. It's going to be an entrepreneurship piece. It could be a consulting piece. Uh, there, there's, you know, you know, as a quilt is constructed, there's all these different different facets. The one that's going to remain and it still appears to be intact um, certainly is going to be that of you know being a, a music educator in a public school and you're going to and give of yourself for thirty years and and then it'll be time to do something different. But not everybody's path is that, that that's not necessarily going to fit them. And so, to your point again, technologically savvy, and also that it's, it's going to be a lot of different pieces. Yeah, absolutely. And I and I love how you put it. I love the imagery of the quilt. Um, it's one of the things that um, when I do this work and. Uh, you know, work with students who are looking at a career or if I'm teaching a course in career design, um, saying that when you're going into a career in the performing arts, um, very rarely does anybody just do one thing. Um, you know, there's, there's performing and there's consulting and there's writing and there's, um, you know, teaching and gigging and, um, and being comfortable kind of moving in between uh, different places. Not only uh, does it make you a more versatile performer, but I think it also, um, it keeps us happy. I think it, you know, it in gen- like as long as you understand how to manage it and you know when too much is too much, um, that uh, because we as human beings aren't this kind of single faceted entity, that we're able to be actually more true to who we are by having um, what Br- Brene Brown calls, or she might have quoted somebody else, but uh, calling it the the slash career. I'm I'm a I'm a writer slash teacher slash you know. I, I think, Lee, I think that's a, a superb characterization, you know, something slash, something slash, something. You know, I reflect back, pardon me, my own career. I mean, mine, mine's been a mongrel career. I'm not sure I ever fit any particular channel or they use to learn lane or whatever. Because by, I started as, I was a really hyper little kid. Not that you can tell now. Um, <laughs> But at the age of five, you know, my parents bought an organ at a yard sale and the, and the doctor said, give this kid something to do or he's going to go nuts. And so from there, I just, you know, learned. And then 
fourth grade came around and it was like, oh, I want to play trumpet, but we didn't have a lot of money. My mom had a violin, so I ended up with a violin. And in fifth grade, my dad goes to a pawn shop in Philadelphia and buys me a C melody saxophone. Looks like a tenor, but it's pitched in C. And he, because that's what the string bands used in the great Philadelphia New Year's parade. And I got that in sixth, in sixth grade, I got a clarinet, an old Bundy clarinet for Christmas. And in seventh grade, I got a marimba. They bought a marimba, a seven foot diga marimba for 50 bucks at a Goodwill store. And, and they, by the time in eighth grade, I just ended up in a Herb Alpert and Tijuana brass cover band. <laughs> Never forget, I made 120 bucks for a bunch of people who really drank too much on a New Year's Eve at the age of 13 and said, no, I'm going to do this for a while. <laughs> so, on that, then, you know, the, the concert master of my high school orchestra, that, that sounds good, but it wasn't a very good high school orchestra. And I was in the marching band. I played first clarinet and band. I played lead alto and jazz band. It was the sum total of all those parts. You know, I was probably headed for a law, I thought politics and law, but it just felt that the path that I was being brought, you know, brought me in. But then that pathway, and to your point, it's your own individual pathway is is what gets you going. I ended up doing, I think you know this, I ended up doing instrumental music theme park production for Hershey Park for 17 years. Okay, yep. And that was driven off relationships. We come back to relationship thing. When we played for Governor Pennsylvania Governor Robert Casey, in the Harrisburg train station, and there were a bunch of executives from Hershey Entertainment Resorts were sitting there. And I just walked up, and you shake hands, and, oh, we really love the kids. Can you come down and play for us sometime? Sure. And then you get a call a month or two later. We come down, we entertain, and the strolling strings come down and do that. And then from there, it's like, wow, well, we're thinking about maybe doing something different with music in the park. Okay, well, let's see what we can do. And over my shoulder here, one of my shoulders, yeah, this shoulder right there, was a pictorial collage of a bunch of the groups that we had. I mean, what started as a part-time parade that employed 15 kids for 30 bucks a night to march through the park with all the animated chocolate characters. Yeah. Ended up turning into being 25 full-time positions with different bands that were spread out throughout the park over time. So again, it's that maybe just even telling that story is kind of like the mongrelness or the being open to innovation or just, thinking creatively outside the box. That makes sense? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'm wondering, Walt, you know, let's say somebody's listening to this and they just love what you do with Consumer uh, and the idea of, you know, being this kind of consultant slash salesperson um, slash networker. Um, and they're saying, what do I... Okay, so I'm going to go to college. What do I study in college? Do I study music education but what if i'm like not really interested in like being a like in the classroom teacher is this still something that i could get into doing um do i you know do i study business um what what would your recommendation be there's probably three paths number one is the straight okay go do music education and then get out of school and maybe jump into retail or whatever Mm -hmm. And the other side is just study business and then get a job in a music store. Or there are now far more than what there were 20 years ago, music industry study degrees. They call them music merchandising. And they're basically a hybrid major of, of music and business. So you're going to get your theory and you're also going to get accounting and you're going to get music history and you're going to get marketing. And getting into the corporate sphere, which is where I work, 
right now, the best thing you can do is to have retail experience. So I never formally had retail um, music store experience, but in college I worked for a couple of summers selling stereo equipment. So, you know, and, and when you think about sales, sales is all about relationship. Daniel Pink, you know, the great author, A Whole New Mind. Yep. The book, the book, where is the book here? It's up here on the counter. But he has a book on sales. He says, we all sell everything. You sold the concept that being being part of the Lancer Choirs was going to be a great thing and part of right. the, I sold strolling strings as as an identity piece for the community. So we're there we were selling an idea. We were convincing kids. You know, we we're we we're all born to do that. So sales at the end of the day is really just about relationship. It's about meeting someone, palms up and really finding out what their needs are and then filling and, and then filling them in. Um, you and I have all, I mean, we all encounter that salesman. Oh, let's get this timeshare. You know, blah, 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 blah. No, uh-uh. when I go into a district, my first thing is, what do you need? What do you need? What, what can you help you? What, what do you, and it's fun. It's like playing golf because depending on the answer they give you determines which business club you use. If that metaphor makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, no, okay. You need new instruments because you've just taken over a program and, the teacher left before you kind of got burned out. And so, and half the stuff doesn't work and the other staff should go into a brush pile. But in the meantime, you're coming in and you're, you're full of energy and excitement and your program's becoming very robust, but you don't have the tools to meet those kids needs. So then you have to bring, okay, a sense of, of, of assessment. Okay. Let's, let's analyze your inventory. Let's see what you got. Let's take a hard look. Let's, you know, and try and help you figure that out. So the core skills of humanity, palms up, being a really good listener is really critical. Um, and, you know, just helping people find solutions, you know, at the end of the day. That's great. Yeah, palms up. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that, that's key. So, um, but there's a lot of, coming back to the question, I mean, there's just, and I think this is a great part about the 21st century economy is that, 20 years ago, pathways were a little bit more, you know, there were more lanes, not lanes, what I want to say, I mean, it, was, it was more, it was more straight line. It was more linear. Mm-hmm. Now everything to me is just very circuitous. And I think, you know, that's the realm that you as a young man with a young family and for other people coming in, the, the pathway from A to B no longer is a straight line. It, it, it's, it's much different in, in that regard, which allows for creativity you know, and, 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 and that, and that element. So to wrap up, what would you say to a young person, uh, or their parents that, uh, is maybe considering a career in the performing arts, but is nervous about the ability to, to make a living, you know, support themselves or eventually a family, um, as a as a performing artist it's it will be a quilted career unless you are part of that rare one percent you know the violin protege that will land the gig with the new york philharmonic you know that that is by far the exception rather than the rule but opportunities to play opportunities to teach certainly go hand in hand and again the big word that we hear all the time is entrepreneurship Mm-hmm. Go up on YouTube, and you, and you know, I mean, the wealth of content that's out there, and finding a way to create it, 
ultimately finding a way to monetize it uh, is important. But I think in summary to your question, it, it, it's the quilt, it's the quilted career. And that, that's the one that's going to bring satisfaction. And understand that a good quilt, sometimes the pieces, um, you know, there are larger pieces and then there are smaller pieces. They're not all going to be the same size. And over the course of her career, that will change. Um, there may be a period of time where your performing piece is really, really, really large, but then that's going to change as things. Think about major, think about major concert artists. It's, it's kind of funny, the trajectory. Think of the, the big name rock and roll bands that start by playing, you know, local festivals, and then they will play a theme park. Then they will play an amphitheater. Then they'll get to the stadiums, you know, the Yankee Stadium, Hershey Park Stadium, whatever. And then the sunset starts, and then they're back to the then they're back to the indoor arena. Then they're back to the the theme park. Then they're back to the, the regional festival. You know, everything has its its ebb and flow, and so you got to be prepared for those pieces are going to change over time. And you still perform. I still, yeah, I, I, I gig whenever I can. You know, I came to town uh, as a sax major, but there were too many great saxophonists around here. So I found an opening as a keyboard player. And so, you know, I get to play some jazz piano whenever I can. We, we're blessed with some great musicians in town here. And frankly, I just love to sit behind and play nice chords and let uh, let guys go. The Dick Adams, the Rob Byams, you know, the, 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 the our friends here in town. Yeah, yeah. And, and derive that, yeah. I have to get that balance and you have, and you have, sometimes you have to work to get that balance. I find that I am, I do my best day job when I have that occasional night thing. Because when a piece of your, of your soul, your psyche is missing, it's amazing how, how it impacts you. And you don't usually see it right away until then that piece drops back in. And you go, Oh yeah, I was really missing that. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. Yep. It's, it's all part of the creative process. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot again for, for taking the time. It's been great to, to catch up and to hear you uh, talk about what you do. Well, Lee, thanks so much for the invitation. I'm really proud of you. You right now are sitting there as a living, breathing embodiment of someone who's quilting a career, who started on an initial path, but has responded to the spirit, the leaning, the tug, and, you know, and you're piecing it together. You got beautiful young family and you're doing great work and it'll be a pleasure to to see things keep going and you know you can call on me anytime if we want, want to do this again. Yeah, thank you. All right, my pleasure. Thank you again to Walt Strayton for talking with us today. If you are a student or a young professional and feeling like you may be able to benefit from some clarity or guidance as you work through issues related to your professional life, check out artsboundcareerdesign.com to learn more about performing arts, college, and career coaching. Our theme music is composed by Chris Lidecker. I'm Lee Savalixic. Thanks for listening.